Mountain Town, by Ivory Harlow, Warden Janine, I. Her heart was beating so powerfully that she felt her pulse in her forehead. She kept her body perfectly still as she tracked the enemy through her scope. She centered the red dot, treating his turban as a target. He paced the rooftop, talking on a cell phone. He was clueless that American operatives had entered the building below. Any moment they would bust through the rooftop access and detain him as an enemy combatant. She held her position, feeling sweat from the inside of her helmet trickled down the side of her face. Should he attempt to flee, she was ready to take him out. Janine pressed the stock to her cheek and looked through the scope. She held the rifle steady to adjust the knobs. She shot, then moved the crosshair from the center of the target to the hole on the paper target. She shot again. Perfect. All sighted in and ready for the weekend. She handed the new hunting rifle back to Larry. Thanks a lot, Warden. My eyesight ain't what it used to be. I want to surprise my boy with a gift when his buddies get here tomorrow. Coming for mule deer opener? Janine asked. Hunters from the eastern U.S. flock to Mountain Town each November because western mule deer are nearly twice the size of muleys out east. Yes, ma'am. My boy is hoping for a big buck, but between you and me, he'll be happy with a freezer of venison and a weekend escape from the city. I don't blame him, Janine smiled, y'all have a great weekend. Larry owned 800 acres of land outside of the Mountain Town city limits. His brother Jed had as many acres adjoining Larry's property. Together, the Walker family owned land clear up Chalk Mountain. Larry and Jed were born and raised, married and divorced, grew old, and will eventually die in Mountain Town. Janine's first impression of the men was of crotchety old-timers. They complained when the state parks and wildlife assigned a lady game warden to the Mountain Town office. She didn't take it personally. There were plenty of other traditionalists who rejected her authority. It's the Wild West out here, Larry warned Janine's supervisor. Are you sure the girl can manage? Eventually, Janine won Larry over. Larry and Jed, and all the other mountain town naysayers. Warden Janine established a reputation for being professional, courteous, and fair. Plus, they liked her as a person. She'd always lend a helping hand when their livestock got loose or their trucks needed a jump. They respected the fact she could hold her own with the boys. Janine was the only female member of the Mountain Town Sportsman Club that routinely beat them at shooting clays. She was also the only female volunteer firefighter, she could run circles around the male volunteers. Their wives loved her too. She had standing invitations for meals in their homes. The wives all wanted to set her up with their adult sons. Setting her up with their sons was the only time the husbands agreed with their wives meddling in the boys' personal lives. Not only was she an excellent shot, she had a compact figure and a pretty face with sandy brown hair and hazel eyes. She would make a good daughter-in-law and a well-rounded addition to the family. The old men of Mountain Town may have had reservations about Janine. But she had reservations about Mountain Town itself when she arrived at her first assignment. Game warden cadets must be willing and able to accept an assignment anywhere in the state upon being commissioned as a warden. The state assigns new wardens where there are vacancies, and in the best interest of the department, not based on preference. As a former Marine, Janine was used to going where she was told, but she hoped it would be a place with plenty of lakes and rivers, or saltwater bays and estuaries. After serving eight years in the Marines, Military Occupational Specialty Field 03 Ground Infantry, Patrolling Recreational Waters, was her dream job. To her dismay, the Mountain Town region had one meager 550-acre lake and two rivers only deep enough to support paddlecraft. She was delighted, however, to discover three mountain ranges and endless miles of raw wilderness surrounding Mountain Town. 
The area was famous for the best hunting and hiking in the state. Mountain Town has everything you need, and only what you need, Coop said when he showed her around town. Captain Cooper Coop was Janine and five fellow game warden supervisors. He also oversaw wildlife monitoring wildlife and conservation activities, and wildlife-related crimes, and served as a liaison with local law enforcement agencies. Coop had grown up in Mountain Town, and gone straight to the Game Warden Academy before there was a college education prerequisite. He served parks and wildlife at various posts across the state over 20 years, then seized the opportunity to take a supervisory position in Mountain Town in 2009. I met and married my wife at a suburban post, Coop said. She struggled to acclimate to Mountain Town's remoteness at first, he chuckled. I feel her pain, Janine signed. She planned to buy housewares when she got to Mountain Town, only to discover there were no stores. She used a sleeping bag for bed linens and ate off paper plates for two weeks until her Amazon delivery arrived. Not only did you have to order everything you needed, but it took twice as long for things to ship to Mountain Town. Coop offered advice for Mountain Town living, plan way ahead, buy in bulk, and never let your fuel level dip below a quarter tank. 2. Within a few weeks of starting the job, Janine took to the mountain air like a fish to water. Mountain Town's slower pace and laid-back lifestyle reminded her of growing up. Janine's dad was a small-town sheriff. Her mom stayed home to care for her and her two older brothers. It was more than a full-time job. When I found out I was having a girl, I thought, finally, a break from bandaging wounds and putting out fires. Then you turned out to be just as much trouble. Her mother teased. Janine's father gave her a Daisy Red Ryder BB gun for her sixth birthday. He graduated her to a Winchester 243 when she turned eight. Since she couldn't play football alongside her brothers, he enrolled her in softball. That way he didn't have to miss their fall football games, did not compete with her spring softball games he never missed one. It was no surprise when Janine enlisted in the Marine Corps after high school. Marine boot camp felt like a 13-week vacation compared to the rugged living off the land camping excursions that her dad took them on every summer. She had always been a good shooter. In basic, she shot well enough to qualify for expert marksmanship. Hand-to-hand combat training was a breeze compared to growing up with her rough-and-tumble brothers. Janine had mediocre grades in high school, but she liked to study military history, customs, and courtesies in boot camp. Janine passed all marine assessments with flying colors, earning the highest honors at graduation. Both mom and dad were misty with pride at the parade ceremony. Her oldest brother wore his army service uniform, her middle brother his state trooper class A dress uniform, and her father wore his sheriff class A attire. The first thing Janine unpacked at her mountain town apartment was the framed photo of her family at her marine graduation. Looking at it reminded her of who she was and who she wanted to be. 3. Janine did three tours of Afghanistan during her military service. When she was off duty, she took college classes on base. Frequent deployments meant it took longer than four years to complete a degree. But Janine had earned a bachelor's in criminal justice by the time her second military enlistment was up. She was eager to start a new chapter of life. Janine was one of 930 applicants to the Game Warden Academy in her home state. Only 20 individuals were invited to join the cohort. Janine had no plan B. A few weeks later she carried her green, government-issued duffel bag up the limestone pathway into the facility to train to be a game warden. Game warden cadets undergo a psychological assessment during training to ensure they are mentally fit to serve. They are also required to pass fitness tests to ensure they can physically do what the job requires. When the psychologist asked about her sleep patterns, 
Janine disclosed she hadn't had a good night's sleep in years. I wake up a few times a night. I try to go back to sleep, but I typically give up and get up. Her larger concern, which she did not disclose, was she was often woken by disturbing war dreams. She lay awake remembering actual events, which she didn't find distressing as she experienced them. Foggy with sleep, she struggled to identify what actually happened her dream or her memory. Janine had heard the term post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, during mental health briefings when she was in the service. No one had ever used it to describe her. The VA has special resources for veterans experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. The psychologist referred her to the nearest veterans hospital in the city, two and a half hours away. They did not convince Janine she had a problem, but she knew too many Marines who didn't seek help for minor issues that turned into gigantic problems. Furthermore, the psychologist refused to sign off on the assessment without Janine following up on the referral. 4. The VA hospital looked to be as big as the city of Mountain Town. Janine stood in the hospital entryway reading the long list of clinics, primary care, dental, optometry, lab. Can I help you find something? A man in scrubs approached her. I know where I am going, she answered. She had no clue where she was going, but she wasn't willing to say the words mental health out loud, let alone to a stranger. You sure? He smiled. I am, thank you, she said and started walking in the direction from which he came. The hospital had the white, polished linoleum, reflecting two bright fluorescent lights. Stale coffee and sterile supply smells wafted through the halls. The only way one would distinguish it from a civilian hospital was the patient demographic. Several identified themselves with Vietnam War campaign hats. A few looked too old to be post-9 to 11 vets, but too young to have served in Vietnam. She assumed they were of the Gulf War era. She had likely served alongside some in the remaining group, who appeared to be in their 30s. Regardless of age, she only saw a handful of minorities in the VA hallways, and only passed one other woman, wearing an Army PT t-shirt. Janine found the mental health clinic, checked in, and took a seat in the waiting room. She sat in a far corner. A flat-screen TV blared who wants to make a deal. She pretended to be interested to avoid making eye contact with other patients. A nurse retrieved her from the waiting room and led her to Dr. Hosseini's office at the end of the hallway. He sat behind a large desk. She noticed his white lab coat contrasted with his black turban. He didn't stand to greet her. He glanced up from his computer at the nurse. On cue, she turned to leave his office and closed the door behind her. Janine stood in front of his desk. Sit please, he motioned to a pair of vinyl chairs in front of the desk. She looked at the wall art behind him. It was a drawing of an American flag and eagle with We the People scrolled in calligraphy. It didn't do much to convince her the Iranian doctor was a patriot, or an American for that matter. What brings you in? Dr. Hosseini asked. He had a heavy Persian accent. His eyes were stark black, they matched his turban. They referred me to the VA for sleep disturbance and, um, memory trouble. He typed on his keyboard. Describe your trouble with memories. Janine squirmed. The last thing she wanted to do was tell war stories to a man she still considered the enemy. I recall situations I experienced during deployment when I am not trying to remember them. It's like they are on autoplay. I don't start them and I can't stop them, Janine said. You find these memories disturbing? He asked without taking his eyes off the screen. They disturb my sleep. The memories and my thoughts about them keep me awake. Restlessness is your greatest concern? Janine paused thoughtfully and then said, no. My greatest concern is that I can't control my mind. I see, Dr. Hosseini said. 
Janine kept quiet as he pecked furiously at his computer. After a few minutes, he abruptly stood up, shooting his rolling chair out from beneath him. He opened his office door, signaling her to leave. Check out at the front desk. Janine felt dismissed, but she was glad to get out of there and away from the doctor. The front desk clerk took a document from the printer and handed it to her. Dr. Hosseini requested a follow-up appointment in six weeks, the clerk said. Would you like to schedule that now? Janine looked around the waiting room to ensure no one was in earshot. She leaned towards the clerk. I apologize if this comes across wrong, but would it be possible for me to see an American doctor? The clerk looked at Janine sympathetically. I'm sorry, none of the psychiatrists on staff are American, she said in an apologetic tone. No American psychiatrists at the Veterans Hospital? Janine said in disbelief. I'm sorry, the clerk said again. It is a common complaint. You have a couple options, transfer to another VA healthcare system, but patients tell me you are likely to find foreign doctors at all VA facilities. Or contact the patient advocate to share your concern and request care from an outside provider. I see. Would you like to schedule your follow-up appointment now? No thanks, Janine said. She paused in the hallway to read the document the clerk had given her. Dr. Hosseini had written her prescriptions for Paxil and Xanax to treat anxiety, and Ambien for sleep. She crumpled up the prescriptions and tossed them in the trash as she exited the building. B. Coop tapped on the glass of his office window, signaling for Janine to come into his office. He had landowner Jed Walker on speakerphone. I noticed his truck at the base of Chalk Mountain around dusk. As you know, my family's property is clearly marked private. It irritated me that he ignored the signs and jumped the fence, but more concerned because I run cattle on the eastern slope, Jed explained. I wrote down the license plate and description of the vehicle, then waited. I figured he'd see my truck from the mountain. Sure enough, about 30 minutes later, he came down and cut right through my field to his truck. Jed chuckled. Did you confront him? Coop asked. I told him it was private property. My private property, Jed said. He had a 270 Winchester on him and a pair of binoculars around his neck. I asked if he was hunting Bighorn because of the caliber of his gun. He didn't admit or deny. The area surrounding Mountain Town has the highest population of desert Bighorn sheep in the state. The state actively began working to restore Bighorn populations in the 1970s. Hunting is by permit only. The state issues very few permits a year, mostly to landowners with a surplus of animals on their property. Did you report him to the sheriff? Coop asked. No. He seemed like an overgrown country kid in his late 20s. He apologized for coming on my land and said it wouldn't happen again. We shook hands. I thought we had an understanding, Jed said. About a week later, I saw that son of a bitch's truck on my way to the feed store. It was parked on the other side of the hill. I bet he went to hunt before dawn, thinking I wouldn't pass by. He read Coop the license plate and vehicle description. Coop ran it in the state database and national databases and pulled up a list of violations, including a warrant for his arrest. Do we have permission to patrol your land? Coop asked. Y'all are always welcome on Walker land. We appreciate that, Jed. I'll let you know when we get your guy. Coop hung up the phone. He looked at Janine with a broad smile and twinkle in his eye. Time to catch us a poacher. Most wardens of Coop's age were content to sit at the desk, watching the clock tick towards retirement. Not Coop. Sting operations to catch illegal hunters are his absolute favorite. During her first months on his team, the department conducted three successful anti-poaching operations. 
State parks and wildlife administrators claim that warden cadets are randomly assigned to openings. But Janine wondered if Coop had something to do with her being assigned to his district. He liked that she had been in the military and had a degree in criminal justice. Most wardens study natural resources and college law enforcement activities are an afterthought. They loaded equipment into the state vehicle and headed to Walker Ranch, about an hour's drive from their office in Mountain Town. Coop spent the drive analyzing the mindset of a poacher. Poachers are creatures of habit, they visit the same areas again and again. Especially when they believe their prey is present, and they've invested time and effort scoping the area out. Jed said the guy seemed naive, but his timing and persistence suggest otherwise. Janine nodded in agreement. The sheep are in a rut this time of year. The poacher knows there is a high probability a buck is seeking you groups on Jed's range. I'm sure he already discovered there is a good water supply after this summer's rain and plenty of their preferred habitat. Janine pictured the mosaic scrubland, rocky terrain, and outcroppings that made up Chalk Mountain. I think his former visits were to scout out the grounds, view the population and their behavior patterns, and plan his crime. The bighorn feed at dusk and dawn, which explains Jed's first encounter with him in the evening, and his second encounter early morning, Coop guessed. If so, tonight's the night. His timing is impeccable, Janine said, harvest moon is this week. September's full moon is the nearest full moon to the autumnal equinox. Folks call it the harvest moon because it rises at dusk, giving farmers extra hours of bright moonlight to harvest. The moonlight also increases wildlife activity, Coop pulled onto Walker Ranch. They unloaded equipment and parked the state vehicle in Jed's barn to keep it out of sight. Since personal drones became mainstream, Poachers have been using them to stake out ground and survey an area for anyone who might foil their plan. Swift and mobile drones are far more of a challenge for game wardens to discover and confiscate than old-school stationary game cameras were. They tied equipment down on their ATV racks and headed up the mountain. They passed you standing in the shade of cliff overhangs while their lambs played king of the hill on the rocky slope. Bighorns were majestic animals. Witnessing them in the natural environment left her in awe. She thought it always would, no matter how often she saw them, betting sight. Coop slowed his ATV to point to a large area of matted down grama grass. We are close. They parked the ATVs behind the brush and hiked another half mile on foot. Janine stopped to study the topo map. They were at about 5,000 elevation on the eastern slope of Chalk Mountain. Bighorn sheep prefer east-facing slopes. They occupy higher elevations in the summer and then move to lower elevations in the winter. This is it, Coop confirmed. He turned 360 degrees, spanning the terrain for a place to position the decoy. They worked quickly to position the decoy and install a camera to record evidence before dark. Next, they concealed themselves in a dense thicket to wait for the guest of honor. Bye, Janine deployed in October 2001, one month after the 9-11 to terrorist attacks, and President George W. Bush declared the war on terrorism. The commander-in-chief tasked U.S. troops to assist the Northern Alliance, a Western-backed Afghan government. The alliance had been fighting the Taliban in the ongoing civil war. Its members were disheveled and disorganized not at all strategic. Her impression of them was that they needed all the help they could get and it still wouldn't be enough. American media described U.S. troops' role in the conflict as one of support. But Boots on the Ground knew who was really doing the work, and who would ultimately take control of Kabul. The Americans had only two weeks to teach the young Afghanis combat and survival skills. They were much more interested in smoking cigarettes than tactical training. On October 7, 
After the Taliban failed to meet U.S. demands to dismantle al-Qaeda and extradite its leaders, the United States and its allies launched a bombing campaign against the Taliban. They targeted key buildings and installations with bombs and cruise missiles. After the air assault, Marines and Alliance forces aimed to secure airfields and open land bridges. An eclectic mix of U.S. and Afghani soldiers spilled over the back of a M-1083 truck. They held their weapons up, alert to any remaining Taliban that had holed up and hunkered down in Kabul city. Three mountain ranges, the Hindu Kush, Pamir, and Karakoram surround Kabul. Kabul's major infrastructure was at the city center. After the U.S. bombing, it looked like a valley of broken buildings. There was still a dusty haze in the city, that rose from the rubble and up the base of the mountains. Only the mountain peaks stood in clear view, some 12,000 miles above the city. The convoy drove through the city streets until the streets became too narrow, and then the soldiers dismounted and patrolled on foot. They filled the empty alleyways like stream water, following the broken walls and flowing around fallen brick and debris. Janine kept one finger on the trigger as she peered into windows and scanned rooftops for insurgents. The daytime temperature was mild in October, 70 degrees Fahrenheit but the heavy gear, dry air, and high elevation made it feel like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Janine looked forward to the cold desert nights in which temperatures fell to 40th but nighttime brought its own challenges. It was hard enough to tell friendly Afghanis from Taliban foes in broad daylight, it was nearly impossible at night. A curfew restricting civilian Afghanis to their homes after dark helped, but the most minute noises seemed amplified in their absence, making the streets of Kabul seem more dangerous and eerie than in daylight. After several hours on foot patrol, Janine sat to rest. She leaned her heavy helmet against the wall of a war-torn building and laid her M27 across her lap. The afternoon had been uneventful, but she knew better than to let her guard down. That's how people die, Sergeant Dalton told her on their first patrol together. They deployed out of the same stateside base. They assigned her to his squad at in processing. She noticed he kept an eye out for her. At first, she thought it was because she was the only female on his 13-man team. It annoyed her. After all, she was faster and better than most men in their platoon. Then, one night when everyone was relaxing at the barracks, he said that desert camouflage brought out the brown in her eyes. Your actual eye color is more green, he said, seeing her out of uniform. It occurred to her that Dalton liked her. He never outwardly flirted with her because he was a rule follower and she was his direct report. Are you drinking enough water? Dalton approached her. Don't let the cool night air fool you. You still have to stay on top of hydration. Dalton deployed to Serbia as part of Operation Allied Force. He'd seen more action than most of the young people in their platoon, which is why he was in charge of the squad. He was the right person for the job, knowledgeable, duteous, and down-to-earth. Yes sir, Janine sighed knowingly and brought the camelback tube to her lips. Boom. An explosion interrupted her action. Dalton instinctively doved to the ground next to Janine. Janine looked toward the explosion. Flame encompassed it, I'd, Dalton said. They jumped to their feet. They navigated the darkness by the light of the moon. They moved swiftly, careful to avoid debris from the explosion. We cleared that area, there was nothing there, Janine whispered. Insurgents often conceal several IEDs in areas where there is likely to be troop movement. They may have missed it, or the Taliban placed it after they'd been through. Janine and Dalton had no way of knowing if the battle was over or had just begun. One hundred yards from the rubble, they encountered a Marine medic patching up an allied Afghani soldier impaled with shrapnel from the blast. 
The Afghani jabbered in Dari and pointed to an abandoned building. Without a translator, they guessed he was showing them the direction the enemy ran. They bolted in that direction. Dalton entered the building first. Janine had his back. They cleared the first floor, then the second. A bomb left a hole in the staircase to the third floor. Dalton turned to Janine and shrugged. No one here. He started, then a bullet flew through the wall opening and pinged off a broken banister. They crouched into position on either side of the opening and returned fire. Dalton reached across his chest for his radio. It threw him off balance. He leaned forward to steady himself. As he did, a bullet pinged his helmet. He overcorrected for the impact, stumbling directly into the opening. Janine bounded to him, grabbed the straps of his flak vest, and dragged him behind her side of the wall. It was too dark for her to see if the bullet penetrated his helmet. She took the radio from his vest and called their coordinates. She could see the flames from the original explosion in the distance. It would take at least five minutes for their comrades to come to their rescue. She returned to position, determined to defend them until help arrived. 7. Janine leaned back to rest her head on a boulder. Coop sat next to her. He pulled a bag of beef jerky out of his pack, opened the seal, and offered some to Janine. Janine took a handful, grabbed a container of mixed nuts from her bag, popped the top, and set it between them. They ate their dinner by the light of the harvest moon. Viewing it from the mountaintop made it appear closer and bigger. It cast a soft glow that made the surrounding mountains look various shades of blue and black and the valley below vibrant green. Coop snored. Janine was just about to elbow him when the blast of a shotgun roused him. He jumped to his feet. Coop's booming voice announced their presence. Janine pointed the spotlight toward the shot. Seeing nothing, she scanned the field. The poacher had run or was hiding, Coop radioed for backup. Tell the sheriff to look for the POV around the base of Chalk Mountain, he directed the dispatcher. I'll take the field, he said. Janine worked her way around the rock outcrop. The bright moonlight helped her see rocks and branches on the ground, but the terrain was uneven. She moved slowly to avoid tripping. The corner of her eye caught what appeared to be a dark shadow moving through the tall boulders. She instinctively put her hand on her pistol and moved closer. Crack. The sound of breaking branches followed by the huff of someone who'd landed hard. She got to him before he got to his feet. She tackled him back to the ground. He overpowered her. The man turned onto his side and elbowed her in the gut. She keeled over in pain. When she looked up, she saw a man wearing shower kameez, a knee-length tunic and baggy trousers. His dark eyes reflected the moonlight. His pupils were dilated with aggression. He was going to kill her if she didn't kill him first. Janine lunged at him and pulled him to the ground. He dropped his rifle, she kicked it into the brush, then pounced on his back, grabbing his arm and twisting it behind him with such force that he screamed in pain. She put her other hand on his neck and ground his head into the gravel, Coop heard the commotion and came running. He dropped to his knees next to her and handcuffed the man. Janine didn't budge. He placed his hand on her shoulder. Stand down, Maureen, Coop said in a low and steady voice. Janine snapped back to the present. Where was I? She wondered. The last thing she remembered was the sound of breaking branches notifying her of the poacher's presence. She had no recollection of pursuing, catching, and wrestling him into submission. She stood up to shake it off. Janine used her arm to wipe the sweat from her face and saw blood, then tasted it. She reached up and tapped her nose lightly with her fingers to confirm he had not broken her nose. Meanwhile, Coop radioed deputies at the base of Chalk Mountain. They're on their way up, he told her. 
Great work. They charged the man with poaching, trespassing on private land, attempting to take or possess protected wildlife resources, discharging a firearm unlawfully, and resisting arrest. Because it was not his first incident, he received a $7,000 fine and two years in jail. The state revoked his hunting license. They ordered him to turn over his hunting gear, including the firearm that he used to commit the violation. 8. The mountains surrounding Mountain Town were young, as far as mountains go. Geologists estimated the age of the three ranges surrounding the city to be 35 million years old. Yet Janine noticed subtle changes each time she drove through them. On sunny days, the rocks appeared rust-red, on cloudy days they looked reddish-gray. Vanilla-scented white brush and sweet-smelling purple sage dot the valley in spring. The lowlands appear greenest in late summer, during the rainy season. In fall, it turns golden-brown and stays that way all winter when plants are dormant. As much as she loved spring and summer in the mountains, cooler temperatures and increased wildlife activity made her love fall best. The perfect November day, Janine thought. She glanced at the outside temperature, 62 degrees Fahrenheit she doubted it had reached 70 if Janine was on her way to the national park in the southern part of the district. She was supposed to patrol the area, check for fish and game violators, and record data for a wildlife management project. Fellow game wardens in her district called this grub work. But Janine jumped at the chance. She preferred doing anything outdoors to doing paperwork in the office. It didn't hurt that Dalton recently joined the National Park staff as deputy superintendent and knew all the best places to break for a picnic lunch. She rolled down the windows to let the crisp fall air in and felt a peace that she hadn't had in a long time.